Reason Reynolds sits in a bar on a snowy night. This is Zach and Miri make a porno. Chris, I've got an idea. If we record and present our own podcast, we can get our bills paid and the power and water turned back on. If it's so easy, how come everyone else doesn't do it? Because other people have filters, and we don't. I have a filter. Podcasting's gone mainstream. It's like Coca-Cola or Pepsi, but tastes of us. Look at Ricky Gervais. He made a show with his friends. Now he's writing kids' books and getting paid to insult everyone in Hollywood. Those books are for kids? Have you seen the Joe Rogan podcast? He puffs a blunt with Elon Musk. People tune in like he's a living messiah. If this is easy you say, then we're in luck because you're listening to Bigger Pictures with Chris Reynolds and Reese Davis Santi Banyan. Yes, welcome to another episode of Bigger Pictures, the Film Talk podcast in which analysis creeps up on you like the alien in Alien. Because it's in the vents! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you get the time to write all these excellent one-liners. Oh, nor do I. <laughs> <laughs> um, Reese, I have a letter to start us off this week. Cool. Who's the letter from? The letter this week is from young Peter Wilson. Pete, Pete. We, he's written him before. He's a uh, he sent us in this wonderful self-addressed envelope uh, for us to write back to him, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> he's drawn us, Reese, um, in his little little cartoon he's done for us. It, it's rather fantastic. He said uh, he, he very much enjoyed listening to our last episode on Aaron Sorkin, and he's looking forward to seeing the Venn diagram merch that's going to be available soon. <laughs> oh, don't we all? <laughs> what he's asked is, how about we do an episode with films based on board games? such as Jumanji or Clue or Dungeons and Dragons. Just to point something out to Peter, only two of those three titles is based on a real board game. Right, do you know what? Because it's funny you said that because the bit I didn't read out in this message after Dungeons and Dragons was brackets, not technically a board game, but an god-awful movie. <laughs> is that what you were talking about? No, Jumanji isn't a board game. I mean, oh, yes, right. technically D&D is a tabletop game rather than a strict board game but that's that's beside the point jumanji isn't based off a board game i quite like the idea with cluedo if like for example rather than like them actually find out who the murderer is it turns into an episode of line of duty and rather than you know trying to arrest professor Plum or whoever it is that's been murdered it turns out into a a sort of lengthy investigation um into you know interior police scandals going on in the west Midlands (laughs) police force (laughs) anyway going back to young peter wilson's letter uh we, we do have have an announcement to make don't we i'm afraid so if um if you're of a nervous disposition i i suggest that you sit down in a comfy chair grab a cup of tea and maybe a cute animal to cuddle because you're not going to like this unfortunately this is the last episode of the series no this is the end of school term we're, we're going on our holidays reese has basically given the class just colouring in work to do because he can't be bothered to set any work for this lesson. Right. I'm just letting the kids at the back go on their phones. <laughs> so yes, this is the last episode of the series. And what we're going to do next series, hopefully, um, which we're hoping to do in September, where all the pandemic might be over then, is to look at themes such as episodes based on board games. So Peter, your, your letter is very well timed. Uh, and yes, we're definitely going to do that at some point in the future. Uh, but not now. <laughs> so, Reese, this week we're talking about Kevin Smith films, and I wanted to ask you an important question. Have you ever protested against yourself? Um, it feels like the kind of thing I should have done at some point. If only someone had protested against me, I'd be a different <laughs> man. Uh, no, I can't say I have. Have you ever had any sort of weird political campaigns? Not like really serious ones, but any like odd things that you've like protested about or like sort of tried to get changed? Um, <laughs> I can't say I have. 
The limit I've had is um, I managed to get a building renamed the Brian Blessed Centre for Quiet Study, <laughs> which Peter Wilson was involved in, which was a, a study building at the University of York, which they temporarily called the Brian Blessed Centre for Quiet Study before demolishing it, uh, which was very disappointing. <laughs> it sounds like it went well for you. <laughs> well, I, I, I won. I succeeded. You did, yes. But they sort of then just stopped using it. And then blew it up i think they stole it from the norwegians what the whole building yeah, well yeah that's the thing because it was... snuck it out in a jacket pocket <laughs> <laughs> well if you looked up like the, the site historically like it had something to do with like norwegian studies but it wasn't really norwegian studies it might have been the norwegian embassy this is a strange anecdote you're telling me i'm not sure what the point of it is well let's get back on track because the reason i've asked you is I said, why did you, have you ever protested against yourself? Is because Kevin Smith has, and I, I don't know if you've heard about this before, but when Dogma came out in the 1990s, there was a, a big protest in his hometown, and quote, he turned up because he thought he might recognise some of the people he used to go to church with. <laughs> They were expecting a crowd of 1,500 people. Unfortunately, only 15 turned up. Wow. So I don't know. Would you take that as like a hit to your ego if you think that... How many was it meant to be originally? 1,500, so 1,500. If you thought 1,500 people were going to turn up to protest against you, you might think, oh, cool, I've become the evil villain in someone's story. And then to see it's only 15 people, you might... I don't know. It's a bit insulting. Yeah, well, he turned up with his mate and they'd spent like all afternoon making like protest banners about the film. <laughs> One of them said dogma is dog, and then a rude word. Mm. Um, you can say it. And We're probably going to be swearing a lot this episode. So I will yeah. bleep you out myself if you want to say the word. Well, it said dogma is dog shit. Bleep. And the other one, the other uh, banner that they had said to hell with dogma, uh, which is quite entertaining. <laughs> so it's quite, so he turned up to go and protest against his own film. And of course, because nobody there had seen the film, nobody recognised who he was, despite the fact he's in the film. <laughs> It then went from bad to worse because a local news crew turned up who had seen the film and had pictures of Kevin Smith. Please say they interviewed him. They did interview him. Oh, I love it. They, they, they looked at him and they said, um, th th one of them said to him, are, are you the guy? And Kevin Smith looked back and he then said, no, no, this is the guy. And he pointed to a crucifix with Jesus on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and anyway... Um, we should probably talk about Kevin Smith. Do you want to give us a quick history on Kevin Smith? Uh, Kevin Smith is a man with a beard and quite <laughs> quite uh, a lot else going on in his life. He's uh, he's done some writing and some directing. Yeah, I, I was I was more hoping you were going to say, well, uh, in 1994 he made a film called Clark's and you were going to give the background well, to Well, he did something before that. That wasn't his first work. Really? Yeah, yeah. He made um, a short documentary called May Day. The Crumbling of a Documentary. Oh, right. Okay. I've not seen that. That was a uh, 92. Um, oh. And then a couple of years later, Clark's. Back, the background to Clark's, a lot of people find more entertaining than the actual film itself, which is wrong. <laughs> Basically, they made Clark's for $27,575. And in order to finance it, Kevin Smith sold his comic book collection in 1993. And he also maxed out eight out of 10 credit cards to pay for it, as well as used the money from his college education and a car insurance payout. They filmed it in 21 days at the Quick Stop convenience store, which was where Smith worked. And they had to film the whole thing at night, which is why infamously in the film, the Quick Stop uh, has its shutters closed. And a certain disreputable now film producer saw it and basically said, I will distribute this for you. Yeah. So that's basically the background to Clark. So he, he basically, I don't think he even finished his film course that he was doing. He got halfway through and said, no, I've learned everything I'm going to learn. Yeah. Um, well, in then, 1990, um, 
I don't know if you've seen Richard Linklater's films. No. He did Boyhood, which was quite famous for a few years ago. Anyway, back in 1990, he came out with this film called Slacker that was uh, kind of like a, a rambling monologue of a film told by various characters. And Kevin Smith sat in a cinema, he, he watched that, and he thought, well, if this is a film, I could I could make a film. I, I think he did see something, and it probably was that, and said, basically, I'm just not going to... I can do much better with, with under $30,000. So, <laughs> Do you want to tell us about the plot of Clark's? No, I don't want to tell you. Should I, t- should I tell you then? Please, sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like uh, I've been a, a bit of a letdown so far this episode. It's all right. You've got to do the editing, so it's fine. <laughs> Uh, this will be the infamous lost episode, I think. Um, so anyway, Clarks presents a day in the life of two store clerks, Dante Hicks and Randall Graves and their various acquaintances. And it looks at various issues in their Monday life, uh, such as getting the lock stuck on the shutters outside, relationships, sex, and just in general issues around wasting your life. You, you, you've missed out some of the things that make it a Kevin Smith film, but we can talk about those more now what things make it the kevin smith film reese <laughs> the the constant excessive use of foul language for starters <laughs> these characters do not hold back they're all very passionate about whatever they're talking about even if what they're talking about is meaningless mm. and then also jay and silent bob the two drug dealers who hang outside the front of the store yeah, so I, I think for one thing we should probably mention is the Askewniverse, which basically, before there was Marvel, uh, the idea of having a cinematic universe had existed. And uh, shockingly, Kevin Smith started to develop one way before that. Which makes sense, because if Kevin Smith was a big fan of comics, and the yeah. Marvel comic universe was a thing, yeah, then he just kind of lifted it and put it into his medium. Jay and Silent Bob is Jason Mewes, who's Kevin Smith's longtime friend, and Silent Bob is Kevin Smith. A lot of his sort of stories have recurring characters who link stories from one to another. So Clark's, for example, has Jane Silent Bob, who appear in you know quite a lot of his films. The thing that I really like about this film is the script is incredibly funny. I mean, you mentioned the foul language. The foul language is quite entertaining. It is. But there's bits in it where there's... It really bleeping is. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you can mute that one out. But there's like... There's just some like really quite clever lines in it. For example, my, my favourite bit in it is there's a discussion about two of the Star Wars films, The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of the Jedi. I mm-hmm. think it's that. And basically, whoever plays uh, Randall basically makes the point that in the second Star Wars film, uh, the third Star Wars film, sorry, all the people working on the Death Star are all like independently hired contractors. And as a result, when they blow up the Death Star, some of the people they kill up will be independent contractors. Then an independent roofing contractor comes in and says, actually, I disagree with you entirely because all the people who would have been working on that Death Star would have known the risk involved and a lot of them would have made a judgment not to take on that independent... And they just have this really like conversation about like how you apply elements of mundane life to <laughs> extravagant and weird and strange situations. And I think that's really what makes Kevin Smith's films so fantastic is that they look at sort of very odd things and then they just apply really sort of mundane sort of boring things to it really to try and in- interpret it would you say that's right that's exactly what he does but yeah. also the opposite then the main character um mm. oh what's his name dante Hicks. dante it is dante uh. yeah <laughs> tortured dante living in his inferno it's, I don't know, yeah, just, he's he's a fairly petty man, he's insecure, and he doesn't like the number of men that his girlfriend's been with before him. And a lot of it is just him uh, moaning about how 
women have cheated on him in the past, while at the same time he's planning to two-time his girlfriend with an ex. And and um, the the one of the last lines in the film, which I, I think we really have to quote because it's one of the few that's not got loads of swear words in, is Silent Bob's bit when he says to Dante, look, there's a million fine-looking women in the world, but not all of them bring you lasagna at work. And <laughs> has, has, anyone, has anyone ever brought you lasagna at work? I can't say they have, to be honest. No. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, hang on two seconds. Bring me lasagna at work in the future, please. Sorry, I was just ordering some instructions <laughs> there for, for the for future reference. <laughs> is that how you can tell if they're a keeper? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think this is the, the end of both of our relationships, Reese. Uh, let's just run <laughs> off with each other and bring lasagna to each other at work. We can run off to the Caribbean and record podcasts there on the beach. With some lasagna with and some Ed Miller lasagna. <laughs> with his chicken tikka masala. <laughs> <We'll> be... <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, I think that's one of the key... Th- relationships is probably the most key thing, really, about Clarks. And again, they do apply that sort of mundanity to it but also take quite sort of ordinary things and make them odd if that makes sense yes yeah one of the things i was going to say so for example there's one bit in this one bit in the store where there's a guidance counselor looking through all the eggs <laughs> do you remember that yeah. is, is it he's like... sat on the floor looking for the perfect box and he can't just mix and match the eggs to make a perfect box no they have to be already perfect in the box and then there's other bits, for example, where like they have a whole sort of sequence of people going, oh, can you tell me where this is? And then there's a big sign above them saying this item is here or, or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, and, and sort of making a sort of comedy out of clearly what are Kevin Smith's own frustrations of having worked in a shop. One of the things I really liked about Clark's is just how low concept it is. So there's a lot of talk about high concept films where like the kind of the, the, the gist of the plot so kind of in the title. Like our next movie. Yes. Which is Zack and Miri Make a Porno, which tells you everything you need to know in the title. It's it's kind of like a rom-com, a Kevin Smith style rom-com, where the two characters are forced to shoot an adult film out of economic desperation. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say forced. I, like, it's not it's not that grim a okay, film. Okay, fine, yeah. Forced in quotation marks. Yeah, they decide <laughs> to make a film because that's an easy way of making money. Right, yeah, basically. they're kind of incompetent um, as adults. Yeah. So with Zach and me make a porno, first of all, can I can I give a bit of a, a warning on, on this film? If you are over 50 and listening to this podcast, don't watch it. Whoa, why? Why not? Why, if over 50s can like it if they want. Don't be ageist. It is filthy. So I know a lot of filthy old people. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's, let's change it. If you're over 50 and you're not filthy, <laughs> um, probably don't watch this film. Um I mean, even in Kevin Smith's own world, he has admitted that this is quite a filthy film. I wasn't sure what to think of it, and I thought it was going to be a bit cheap and nasty, and it's definitely not. It, it's a really quite, it's a really very funny film, but you have to sit there and be very happy to take it to have uh, all matters. over your face. Yeah, if you watch it, you basically have to be happy to have sexual matters discussed in detail. Um, um, and and not feel too uncomfortable watching it, but it is actually really, really very, very funny. Unfortunately, because of the nature of it, I don't just don't think I can quote any of it at all. Well, you know, I can I can bleep it. We have the new uh, bleepomatic button here to my right. So if you want to to read a couple of your favourite quotes, I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll read a few that without without the worst ones. Seth Rogen basically plays again a, a bit of a bum, and he has this sort of Seth Rogen style of humour. So there's one bit, for example, when Miri is getting changed. She says, "What do you think of this dress?" And he says, "Well, 
It looks like you're Ronald McDonald. Sort of makes me kind of want McNuggets. <laughs> it's just quite funny. But my favourite line the whole film, including including all the really filthy lines, is the bit when he goes to the bar with Miri and he says, can I have two beers, please? And then he turns to Miri and he says, do you want one? She says, yes. So we'll say, okay, better make that three. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like next time I'm allowed back in the pub, um, I, I think I might do that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a really, really very funny film. I like how it's constantly making fun of itself, especially like the concept of it. Yeah. The name of the film they decide to shoot is called Swallow My Gleep Cacino because it takes place in a coffee shop. Yeah. And Again, you definitely get to mute yeah, that last I probably one. will. Um <laughs> But and then because um Seth Rogan's character is writing this, he's trying to create like a story for the film. And mm. all the characters before they get down to business, they just stand up, put their hands on their hips and say, Let us f- <sighs> bleep. And it's yeah. just the most bizarre oh, tongue in cheek uh moment of the film, I think. It's part of what gives it its magic. Like if it was a lot more, if it was straight faced it would be a lot bleaker mm. as a film, as you were saying. Yeah. But it takes the, I mean, the Judd think... Apatow model of where you take a bunch of kind of incompetent adults who don't look after themselves very well, put them into a ridiculous mm. situation, and then kind of exploit the laughs there. Which is very different from Kevin um, Smith's Clarks, in which he's kind of just <laughs> writing jokes from life with a really kind of ironic, but taking itself very seriously. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the characters in Clarks take themselves more seriously than the characters in Zack and Miri, but the characters in Clarks are pretentious idiots. Yeah, I, I think there's an interesting point there, which is the development of Kevin Smith's filmography. So, for example, I watched Jane Silent Bob, uh, the Jane Silent Bob movie, Strikes the first back. one they did. Is that what it is? It Strikes I think it back. Is, yeah. And there's there's a bit in that where like the film is about. I mean, it, it, it's essentially one of the key things in, in Zack and Miri is essentially the film is about Jane Silent Bob trying to stop a movie about Jane Silent Bob being made. <laughs> so it's a movie about Jane Silent Bob trying to stop a Jane Silent Bob movie. And at one point, there's a bit, I, I think it's Matt Damon or someone, turns to Kevin Smith and says, who on earth would want to see a Jane Silent Bob movie? And they all, at the same time, turn to the camera, looking really straight-faced, apart from Kevin Smith, who <laughs> sticks his thumbs up and smiles. And you're just a bit like, yeah, okay, fine. We're stupidly, we paid to go and see this. You know, and I, I think that's really, essentially as you're saying, it, it becomes a bit sort of self-referential and also really questioning what the value is in what they're making. <laughs> but the question of value is something which I think is recurrent in both Clark's and and perhaps in um, Zach and Mary as well, maybe. Interesting. Develop. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, the, the question in Clark's is really, what is the value of Dante and, and Randall's lives? And it's a big speech that Randall has at the, line, at the end when he's like, look, I mean, we're just being pretentious and pretending that what we're doing has some sort of point. Whereas, and you know, pretending that we're better than the drug dealers outside with Jay and Silent Bob. But actually, at least Jay and Silent Bob acknowledge who they are and what they're doing. We're just failures who are basically blaming all our problems on everyone else. Whereas in Zach and Miri, they basically said, look, like, what values are we really holding here? We're not. We might as well do this one thing and exploit it, even though... Um, to us it's going to be sort of quite a a sort of harmful thing for our reputations but we don't have any reputations it doesn't matter because we are valueless as people i I don't know if you agree with that i do i agree and i identify with the sentiments hence making podcasts can i ask you a can i ask you a big question Mm. about clarks and i haven't actually asked you this i was going to mention it before we did the episode and i'm really intrigued what you're going to think 
So Clarks is very much about this Dante and Randall, and they feel like they're wasting their lives, and they blame. But they, they don't even feel like they're wasting their lives. They they blame everything else for the lives that they've had, mm-hmm. um, which I, I I think is is quite realistic. And at the end, Randall has this this sort of rant. And what I've been trying to work out with it, and I still don't quite understand what I feel the answer is, is is Kevin Smith saying, aren't these characters funny because they're not turning around and doing something with their, their lives? Unlike him, who was in exactly the same position, but he turned around and made a film, which is that film. It's a sort of almost capitalist to some extent undercurrent, even though I don't think he'd agree with it himself, which is basically like, yes, if you want to you know, mess about and not really do anything with your, your lives you can do, but look, you know, you're going to look stupid. Well, the fact is that Kevin Smith is making fun of what he knows, which is his own life. Yeah. So <laughs> Zach and Miri watching that feels a lot like watching a kind of uh, a parody autobiography of Kevin Smith's filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> For the first one, he, he kind of got a set that was available to him where he worked. He got uh, some resources and some friends who knew how to use the kit and who would appear in his film for him. And he just did it. And it wasn't polished. It wasn't, it didn't have much value to it production wise, but it was funny and it got him to the next one. And so, yes, in that he he used his frustration with life and his cynical eye and he made that, yeah, into a film. Yeah. And I, I think, Zach, as you said, Zach Amiri is sort of a satire on Clark's. But if Clark's... If it had bleeped in it. Yes, it, as highbrow film or had bleeps in it. Um, so, you know, it, it's um, it's a sort of quite different... Yeah, it, it's a sort of very... One of Kevin Smith's sort of quite blunt satires on himself. It's a sort of self-reflexive film. But I guess also we're agreeing that Clark's is also a reflexive, self-ironic film. Do you think at some point, like, Kevin Smith is just going to be able... Like, he's going to have to stop reflecting on himself. <laughs> he's going to implode. It's going to be basically... I, I feel like... Um, I don't know if you've seen... I think it's Enter the Dragon or, or, or one of those films with Bruce Lee where he basically goes to the Hall of Mirrors and has to fight some guy with, like, a claw. And in the end, he sort of smashes all the mirrors from memory. I wonder whether Kevin Smith's going to have to do that at some point to stop making films <laughs> about himself. I mean, he rec- he recognises that he's not, like, some, like, you know, Christ figure, even though he made Dogma. Um... <laughs> I, I wonder if he sees himself more as the Golgotha demon in Dogma. <laughs> yes, I, I think he probably does. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, one thing I would say about Zakamiri, just just a, a sort of one final thing I wanted to say about that one, really. It is a satire on a rom-com. Yes, yeah. As well. Yeah. It, it's a combination of that same, that sort of look at Clark's and, and you know, saying how silly it is, but also um, turning around and saying look, here's an American good old rom-com. Um, but it's, of course, all related to the making of a pornographic film. Um, and I, I thought I knew which way it was going to go, but because it's Kevin Smith, of course, it's much more explicit than perhaps <laughs> I would have liked. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it, it's a strange film. I, I really enjoyed it, but um, and it, it is really funny. But it, for me, personally, I found it... a bit too explicit i i yeah i loved it i um i can't get enough of that childish swearing very adult childish swearing um can i ask one more question which on on that subject Mm. then to see what you think about it so both films a a common thing that happens in both films is there is a very graphic description of sex uh, and sexual things so for example zach and mary make a porno well yeah can just when they're making the porno fine but also the dutch rudder all the (laughs) Um, also, when they're coming up with titles for the the, the, for the, uh, the porn the porn film, when they're going through all these these different options, um, and that yeah, it, it's very explicit. 
yet within Clarks, they also do the same thing because there's a bit, for example, when Randall's reading out a list of titles that he's ordering for someone and it's all these really sort of horrifically named pornographic films. And there's various other bits as well um, in there in there as well. What is Kevin Smith's obsession with sex? I think it's the same as all humans' obsession with sex, but he's not afraid to to poke fun at it and to call it out for as ridiculous as it is. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the question really is what is he trying to say by being so explicit about sex? Yeah, I don't know if he has anything to say as such, <laughs> other than that it's okay to talk about these things and it's okay to laugh at them and to find them ridiculous. Yeah, like it's more of a start to a conversation than an end to one. It, it's interesting you mentioned the Golgotha demon, which we won't uh, <laughs> in too much detail from Dogma, but it's the same sort of humour. Yeah, and I, I think he's just willing to go there, whereas other people aren't. For me personally, it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, but that's because probably I'm I'm just clearly not engaged with my own uh, sort of activities <laughs> properly. Oh, I think Freud would have a field day with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that's the thing. Freud would love Zach and Miri make a porno. He'd be there sitting there going, "Yeah, but he, she could be his mother," you know. Um, <laughs> that might be one for the bleeping out. I think so. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because like last episode we were talking about Aaron Sorkin films and I compared his directing style to Kevin Smith's earlier directing style yeah and like just to kind of flip that on its head his propensity for vulgarity and Aaron Sorkin does completely the opposite and it's really funny how both directors were well, writer directors they focus so much on relationships on dialogue in their films but they do it so differently and I just one of the things I like about this podcast is being able to watch these completely different kinds of films and find similarities. The Venn diagram returns. It's a good mascot, Chris. I stand by it. It makes sense. I I can't even remember now. The thing is, I'm shocked because I can't remember how the Venn diagram came about. I, it, it was it, it sort of developed into our lives. I think we're going to have to change the logo. <laughs> I was being chased by a Venn diagram in a dream. And then in the next dream, Freud was saying, oh, yes, this is very interesting. Is the Venn diagram your mother? That's what Freud would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what we need to do, perhaps for the next series, we'll scrub just looking at themes. What we'll do is we'll become experts in Freud and try and interpret every film <laughs> based on a Freudian perspective. Um, of course, each bit would start with, is Freud your mother? <laughs> well, is Freud your mother? Sorry, no. Um, is that character the your mother? The first two movies are Alien <laughs> and Mother. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Reese, I think that brings us to the end of this podcast, I'm afraid, and the end of this series. Brings us to a screeching halt. Yeah, we're basically, I forgot to wear a seatbelt, so I'm currently flying through the air. <laughs> um, I'm just hoping I'm going to land on something soft. Unfortunately, you're struggling to fight with the airbag. We're not sure if either of us are going to make it out alive in time for the next episode. Um, <laughs> it's, it's You're basically, do you remember, I don't know if you've ever seen Casper, the film. And there's a lady who I'm pretty sure gets killed by an airbag in that. That's you. You're fighting the airbag oh, at the moment. That's, and it's a mystery. Oh dear. Are we going to make if, it back if, to the next series? Dear listener, if you are the investigator, the detective put onto our case after our mysterious deaths, it was all Chris's fault. He killed me. He tampered with the airbag. If you do want to get in touch and suggest some themes, which we'll hopefully be looking at next series if we survive this, this car crash. Um, <laughs> the car crash, of course, is the metaphorical car crash, not the car crash of the episode. Uh, <laughs> is the car crash your mother, Chris? It, 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 it could be. It could be anyone's mother. Um, <laughs> father? It's the mother of all car crashes. Uh, you, you've, so, I was about to say, you've Father! Seen, uh, father! 
um, of course, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared ends uh, one of the episodes with some little thing hatching out an egg. And then it says, Father! Um, so I, uh, perhaps that's I was a- doing the father from IT Crowd. Well, yeah, you see, I, I realised that halfway through and I thought I had to confirm that my father was the father from uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Um, this is very interesting. Freud would love this. Freud would be- do you think maybe our father obsession is to do with our mothers? Do you think we should rename the episode Bigger Freud's? Uh, <laughs> fuck. Anyway, um, so if you want to get in touch, God knows why after this episode, <laughs> you, you can send in complaints or comments to uh, via, at, via Twitter at History Reynolds or at Reese DS, or you can get in touch with Reese via Instagram uh, via at Reese DS, or, or just send us a message in in any way whatsoever. And we will hopefully do our best to best to respond to it. I think the most effective method of um, getting in touch with us would just be to stage a fifteen-person protest, <laughs> which we would then, of course, join. Yes, uh, and then we could mingle. I, I think that would be quite a good good idea. We could we can make our own placards. <laughs> um, the the key thing about the protest that um, Kevin Smith was really annoyed about was nobody had put as much effort into their placards as he'd put into his. <laughs> And that's a thought that I think we should end the series on. Cool. <laughs> right. Um, have a nice time, everyone. Keep safe over the summer. Yes, look and after we'll yourselves. we'll be back uh, later on in the new year. A uh, new year? Later on in this year. Yeah, we'll call it the podcast new year. The Chinese have their own new year. Yeah, podcast will have a new year. We'll be back in the podcast new year. Bye. See ya. Could I offer you a bleep as well, but in my own special special way? Go on then, yeah. We can, we can always start the podcast with, owing to the explicit nature of the two films we've talked about, in this episode we will be replacing some of the rude words with the following. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! 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 <laughs> Ray Fleet Bleeping Purchase! <laughs> So there we are. We've got that as well now.